Welcome to UTB community. I'm Elliot Shibley and here with me as always, as always, literally as always. Yeah, you're always here. Uh -huh. Yeah, you're always here. I'm always here as well. Yeah. Uh, is the affable Robert DeMena. The affable. Yeah. Dude, that's very funny because when I thought I was going to do this intro and have to come up with the, the adjective affable was on my list. Really? Yes, it was. Wow. That was, a, yeah. All right. Interesting. We're like on the same wavelength. Well, yes. what do we have going on today? All right. So, so today we're actually going to start something new with our intros and outros. We are going to start asking a trivia question in the outro of each podcast, concluding the conversation that we just had. It will be something related to the, you know, to the conversation itself. And we are uh, asking that you, our listeners, submit your answers to those trivia questions via email to the travelers blueprint at gmail.com. Which you can find on our Instagram page and our website. Correct. The three people will be randomly selected, uh, you know, who compile the correct answer. And, you know, the reason that we're doing this randomly is because of the time zone difference of our listeners. European, our Australian and European listeners tend to get the, this podcast first um, before our U.S. listeners even begin to wake up. So in order to level the playing field, we are going to select people at random. Um, so three people will be selected at random after we, you know, get your answers via email and we'll send you guys a, <clears throat> an official traveler's blueprint sticker to your, to your mailing location. So it's just a fun way for, uh, you know, you guys to get engaged. We love hearing, uh, you know, getting feedback on our podcast and it's just a cool way for us to communicate with you. And we're really looking forward to it. So this will be the first episode we do it. So stay tuned to the outro, uh, for the very first uh, Traveler's Blueprint trivia question. And we will also share the winner's uh, names or and tag them on Instagram, if you have an Instagram, on our story for that yeah, week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. So when we, we correspond with you, we'll ask for your Instagram tag and uh, we'll, we'll put a story up. We'll post about it that you, that you three are, in fact, the winners of this week's trivia question. Yes. All right. And so our guest today is a New York City native. Um, he grew up and had an affinity for learning about the history of that gorgeous city. And this episode today focuses on his path, a little bit of his path to becoming a tour guide in New York City and a few of the tour he runs specifically on the New York City subway. And it does focus on that heavily. Um, and then near the end of the show, we talk about his favorite bagel and pizza place. So if you're traveling to New York and you want some good recommendations on pizza and bagels, he's got some great ones. And uh, then he gives us an ideal day in the city for a tourist that's coming in that doesn't focus on the big items and it kind of goes towards some of the more obscure and hidden gems of New York City. So without further introduction, please welcome Gary Dennis. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Gary, welcome, uh, welcome to Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Um, I ended up finding your profile through Tours by Locals, which is a partner of ours. Um, looked into some of the tours with the highest ratings and some of the more interesting topics, and I came upon your profile. Uh, so, so thanks for coming on, and I'm really excited to learn a lot about New York City today. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're born and raised in New York City, is that correct? Yeah. Yes, I am. Where, where exactly were you born? Um, I was, well, in a hospital. 
but um, <laughs> but I was born in a. Uh, I was. I grew up on the Upper West Side. I still live on the Upper West Side. I lived in. Uh, I lived in Washington Heights, Inwood area for a while, but I like it here, so I came back here. Okay. Right. Yeah. And where where is here? Oh, okay. Um, I live. I grew up on 104th and West End Avenue. Sorry, 103rd and West End Avenue. And um, and uh, eventually uh, we bought it. We got. I got married. We bought a place on. 104th and Riverside Drive. So if that means anything to you, it's it's a block away. Okay. <laughs> from where I grew up. All right. And what and, what brought you back to that area? Um, well, one reason was I had a, a movie rental business and it was it, it was over on Broadway but um, two blocks up, so it was very convenient and I didn't have to travel anywhere and have to get on the subway every morning. And so for years I would just, you know, roll out of bed, go to go to the store and come home, you know, didn't have to, didn't have to deal with, you know, getting anywhere. Didn't have to go to downtown, didn't have to travel at rush hour, which t is terrible. So it just, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the system is, I love, I'm a big defender of the subway system, but it is, uh, it gets crowded, you know, it's a big city and crowded city. So. Yeah. One of the things I do want to get into <clears throat> before, you know, in our discussion today is your subway history tour. But before we do, um, I just, I wanted to get an idea of, you know, what, what type of tours do you actually provide? Are they, is there a variety for people who have never been to the city in their lives and then people who actually even maybe live in Manhattan? Yes. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I have, um, to answer the first part of your question, to people who've never been here before, my Upper West Side tour, I do it for, I have done it for people who are moving here. I had a, um, couple, um, is that your cat or mine? That's I believe out. that's a baby. That's a baby. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Well, I remember the, I remember those. All right. So, um, it sounds like a cat. All right. So, um, it's a cat baby. Uh, so I, a couple months, like two or three months ago, I had a family from New Zealand that was uh, moving here. The husband's, um, transfer to, I don't even know. I don't remember what he did or does, but very lovely family. And they're moving to the Upper West side. And I met them in between looking at apartments. So they were looking at, um, some very nice places, and um, I said, "Well, why don't you look a little further up? Because they, you know, they weren't finding anything they liked uh, where they were looking. I know that where they were looking was expensive. It's a little less expensive north of 96th Street, not much less expensive. But um, like in my building, uh, there's an apartment that set a record for north of 96th Street. So um, that's that's good, I guess. But uh, so <laughs> I showed them, I showed them playgrounds. I showed them, you know, uh, things like that. You know, they have, they have three kids. One of them was like four. So they got to know these things. They got to know where things like that are. So, so having been, you know, having still being a parent, you know, uh, having, you know, raised kids here, you have to kind of know what you're going to do with them on a Sunday when you're, you know, they're, they're not in school, you're not working or whatever, and you need to entertain them. And it's nice out. You just don't want to go to a movie or something. No, you want to, you know, you want to get them outside and this is where you go. So I showed them a bunch of playgrounds, showed them uh, with the swing rings on 105th Street in Riverside Park, which is the only one on the East Coast for a long time. It's only other set was on, is in Santa Monica. So that, that they knew. But uh, the other party question, yeah, people who, um, who, who've never been here before, I do a lot of generic overview tours. I do a lot of student tours that are really not related to tours by locals because they don't book those kind of things, but like large group, I'm talking like 56 passenger coaches full of chaperones and students um, and take them around. And, you know, it's, sometimes I call it expensive babysitting, but, you know, <laughs> in, in a way it is, but it's, it, especially when you have a, a band that's marching in the Thanksgiving Day Parade, which I've done uh, this year, I'm not doing it because the one that the company that I do a lot of work for that didn't get a band this year. So 
which is not great, but what are you going to do? So, uh, but for, for years, I would be with a band for a week and, um, you know, you get your bus, which has your specific people on it for five days and you take them around and, uh, you go with them to the rehearsals and, you know, it's, it's, it was interesting because I learned something. I didn't know there was, I didn't really understand the whole band culture, but there is, you know, and today there, there's the, the last day that the Macy's, Macy's uh, people are checking the balloons for the parade. So they've been getting ready for this massive, massive thing that uh, happens every year. So it's exciting as, as, you know, as all heck, but um, it's, uh, it's fun too. And then you get, do get the New Yorkers. I do get people on my subway tour, for example, that have never been here. I'm sorry, I never, never understood why um, uh, things are the way they are, why certain cars are smaller, why certain, uh, why things happen the way they do, what, why does the conductor point at a striped board, or um, uh, what do the yellow lights mean over the platform, and, you know, things like that. So, I mean, uh, and how it all came together, and, and it all connects, though, the history of New York City um, is an intricate fabric, and all of it connects, you know, so what happens in one area is going to affect something else. I'm talking politically, of course, you know, like a, a, a mayor's mad at somebody. So something doesn't happen, that kind of thing. So. Interesting. Is part of your subway tour, how to actually get on the subway. I have a horror story <clears throat> with trying to get on the subway one day, like in my early twenties when I was visiting New York for work. Well, it can um, be, it can be horrible. And I have, um, when we do a big group tour, I have, we have a whole subway procedure, um, you know, how to get on a group them. Um, so this is where, I feel like I have an, uh, a, a leg up on other people where I can say, okay, this is where the doors are going to be in the car. Unless, of course, it's, a, it's a, an R32, then it's going to be shorter trains, so we got to stand here. So we got to stand where it says eight on the wall, that, eight, that little plaque that says eight. We've got to move behind that, and we stand right here. And you've got, your, your chaperone group stands here. This chaperone group stands here. This, you know, so there's four doors. Uh, never use a number line car uh, because the number lines, uh, the cars are smaller. So use a letter line. So this is where you stand. And, then you let them out and then you get in and move right into the middle of the car. Do not stand the door. You know, there's the whole procedure. Then if uh, the procedure for losing a student on the subway is if you don't get on the train for some reason, stay on the platform. We come back and get you. Me and a chaperone come back and get you. And vice versa. If you end up staying on the train, get off at the next stop. We come and get you. So, Well, that's what, yeah, that's what happened to me. I was standing on the platform and the train pulled up and everybody just flocks like cattle yeah. into the tiny right. little door. Right. Um, and so I was being nice and I was letting people by. There you go. And, and oh, yeah. I didn't get, York, I didn't, you don't be nice. Yeah, I didn't get on the train. So then it, it, again, it happened. Um, the train pulls up and I'm like a little bit more aggressive, but still not pushing people away or anything. No. And again, I didn't get on. So well, then the yeah. third time it came around and that was it. I was, I was getting on this train, no matter how elderly the people were next to me, no matter how incapable I was getting on. And I got yeah, up. There you go. I mean, I've seen yeah. it happen a million times, but you know, there's a thing in New York now and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is a worldwide thing or what, but there are people that will stop right in the door. They're getting on the train and they stop right in the door. It's like, duh, what are you thinking, man? Didn't you, didn't you notice there's like 30 people behind you and you're going to stop in the door and then they get mad when you step on the shoe, you know? Well, I sometimes, and I gotta admit that sometimes I almost deliberately try to. It's like, well, you're standing in the door, you know. I, mean, I thought you were getting on. I didn't know. Maybe you're you getting off. You're getting on. You know. I'm sorry, you know, but it's your fault. So, you know, that's about it. Yeah, um, New Yorkers are New York commuters are well-oiled machines, and they they're be. moving at their at their pace. They know exactly where they're going, and if you're right. in their way, it, they can find you to be a nuisance. It's, and that that goes to something that what you just said. They're going at their own pace and they don't notice stuff. So, for example, every time they do a station renovation, the rule is that you have to 
set aside 1% of the renovation budget for art, new, new art. And at Times Square, which is a massive station, and it's a confusing station because it was built by different entities at different times, and uh, they made it more user-friendly back in the 90s, and they added a lot of art. And the art in like one little area is worth millions, millions of dollars worth of art. In this one. It's, like, it's like the Whitney MoMA times 10 right there. I mean, just the one piece is, is enormous, and people walk by it because it's badly placed because they're not looking up. They're looking straight ahead. They're not looking at the art up on the wall. They're looking to run to the shuttle train or to get to the NR or W train, whatever. They're not looking up. Um, there's a Roy Liechtenstein hanging in the Times Square station that if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. I walk by this every day and I don't notice. So that's that, that to me is crazy that they don't notice it. So that's what I point out. And a lot of New Yorkers, I had New Yorkers, I did this uh, subway tour three times yesterday on every tour. There was someone says I've lived here for 25 years and I've never noticed this piice of art. Wow. Yeah. So people don't know. So it's like what you said, where, where there's a little sort of a mindset you got to get from point A to point B and no one's going to get in my way. And ah, you know, so uh, there's almost a slight panic to it too, you know, but you know, people need to get where they're going and they're not stopping. They're not in a museum. You know, we're not, we're not here to, taking the art but that's the thing about the subway they built it with art the original lines were built with art in them and that's what makes it special i think can you give us like a general synopsis or, or the cliff notes on your subway history tour um i yeah so i i basically start with what the there were three different entities that built the system and that um there are people of a certain age who remember the names and and there are actually some signs a very few of them left but there are some signs out there um that will say uh Interborough subway or independent subway, BMT subway. So I explain what those are because about 35, 40 years ago, the state operating authority, the state of New York took over the subways in New York in 1968, primarily so Governor uh, Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, who was running for reelection, could keep a campaign promise of the 20 cent fare remaining. The only way he can guarantee that is if the state took over the subways. So they 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 did. The MTA um, came into being in 1968 also. So the Metropolitan Transit Authority, the MTA, um, took over the subways. And what they did say is to conductors on New York City Transit about 35, 40 years ago is to stop saying things like IND, BMT, uh, IRT. Don't say it. Interboro Rapid Transit Company went bankrupt in 1940. Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Company went bankrupt not long after that. And the independent system was built by the city. So it's a weird situation where the city owns the tunnels, but the state owns the tracks and the cars. I'm not kidding. This is how it is. And the two cannot exist without each other. So people don't get that. So people hear these phrases or have seen these abbreviations over the years and uh, heard, heard their grandparents use it or their parents use it. So they, they need explanation. So I explain that. And then I go into, you know, what happened in Brooklyn, where the BMT had come from and uh, a Uh, why the city had decided to build their own system and why the city was sp uh, spending money, giving money to someone else to build and operate. It had to be done that way because the state of New York, very aware of the potential for some serious corruption. They'll put limits on how much the city can spend and still affects us today. So we have uh, a system that was built with city money, but built by someone else and operated by someone else. But it was almost like, uh, like the, the, you know, this is how I've first seen it. Like the evil emperor, you know, they, they did things that basically financially starved these companies. Like there was no fare increase for 44 years in New York. Where in the real world does that happen? 44 years with no fare increase from 1904 to 1948. And then it was the biggest one ever was a hundred percent went from a nickel to a dime, but they did it so they could get these companies back 
the, the always the plan was is to get them back after a certain number of years. The city just got it back sooner. So these three entities that were building subways will be blended together after 1948. It's going to get better. It's going to, um, in terms of uh, just transferring for free from one entity to another, uh, they used to have, you know, used to, have to pay a separate fare up until 1940 to do, or 1948, excuse me, to go from uh, the, the four train at Brooklyn Bridge to the J train at Chamber Street. Even though it's right there, you had to pay a separate fare. But, but that was part of the deal with the fare increases that you don't have to do that. So, um, and, and out of, I always say that things in New York happen for very few reasons. One is city ordinance. Grand Central Terminal is where it is, not by accident, but because the city of New York had put a limit on how far south the steam engine can go. So 42nd Street was eventually the cutoff. So there you go, city ordinance. But the other reasons are anger, jealousy, spite, and ego. And that is it. So out of one of those reasons, anger, a guy named August Belmont, who was mad at somebody who had made a huge investment in the streetcars, and also froze Belmont out of a railroad deal that netted this guy a lot of money. He's going to get back at them, uh, get back at this man by uh, helping a mayor who wanted a subway after a horrendous blizzard in 1888. The technology was born in New York. We don't use it first because we can't get it together to do it. But once Belmont steps into the picture, they came up with this idea of this public paying for it by private operation and construction. And that's uh, how the first... Uh, subway opened and it opened up 115 years ago last week, last Sunday. So it's 115 and years and one week old today wow. on the state. So, yeah, that's pretty wild. So that's uh, it's a it's it's a crazy history. Uh, I love it, and um, that's uh, that's why I do what I do. I just wanted to get back to the your roots and how you became a New York City tour guide because you are very knowledgeable of the city, which is beneficial. But I mean, other people have lived in New York their entire life and haven't become tour guides. So what was it for you that made you want to become a tour guide? Right. Um, I came from a psychotically competitive family of know-it-alls is one reason. <laughs> and um, to get my father's attention, you had to know something about New York. So when I was very young, I don't remember how old, he told me about a battle of the American Revolution, the Battle of Harlem Heights. And Harlem, it's, it, it happened a little bit further uptown from where I grew up. But there was a gun battle on what is now 106th Street and West End Avenue. So it was three blocks uptown from where I lived. And the, uh, he didn't give, go into details, but the more I found out about that battle, um, it was a battle between a guy named Thomas Knowlton, Captain Knowlton, and the Knowlton Rangers. They were from Massachusetts. And um, the, um, the, he, was, he was sent there by George Washington to keep the Hessian mercenaries back. And Knowlton ultimately died, but in, in a barn. The barn was um, an old barn. Uh, well, it wasn't an old barn then, but it became the old barn on someone else's property, which I'm going to get to. But Knowlton at Rangers, that became the U.S. Army Rangers. That's where it came from. So it was this guy who was also with Nathan Hale and possibly had sent Nathan Hale on the secret mission and whatever to spy on the British locations in, in uh, midtown Manhattan, basically. And he got caught and the rest is history. But that idea of that battle being fought there uh, three blocks from my house just, just blew me away. All right. The barn ended up on a piece of pro it was on a piece of property that was eventually owned by a, um, uh, a former volunteer fireman and former sheriff who got in a lot of trouble along with uh, William Tweed, boss Tweed. Um, and it, ended up selling the house to a family, the Strauss family. Isidore and Ida Strauss um, were members of, well, obviously, the Strauss family. They were a very wealthy family. They had worked their way up from uh, the 
crockery department at, at Macy's and expanded Macy's and they ended up owning Macy's, the Strauss family owned Macy's and, um, you know, turned it into the biggest department store in the world. And they lived in that house on 106th street and the barn, the old barn was part of their property. They were kind of health nuts. So living up here at that time, this was a, I always found that intriguing also that we're not that far from lower Manhattan in, in the real world. It's not a far distance, but in New York, it is a far distance. And uh, the fact that we were that, um, uh, that much of a summer community once upon a time, like a rural area until the idea of a subway starts to gel and you see more development. I always say that the theater district stopped moving because of the subway opening up the Upper West Side. The theater district just kept moving up Broadway, but it stopped moving because the subway had uh, generated a lot of real estate development along Broadway because they knew the line was going to be going up uh, along Broadway north of 42nd Street. So it's going to change that. Now, Harlem changed too, but Harlem actually changed faster than the Upper West Side. Um, so the Upper West Side uh, was a summer community until, uh, you know, after the Civil War, it was still a summer community. So that's when the Strauss, had, the Strauss family had moved up there. So to have that old barn um, that close in terms of history, in terms of time, where that battle had took, taken place was always kind of intriguing. And then there was a book that came out again when I was a kid. My father came home with this book and he was from Missouri. He was from St. Louis and he ended up living here and lived in France for a while, but then came back here. Uh, loved New York, bought a whole bunch of New York books, learned everything he could about New York. So he was like the New York expert, blah, blah, blah. You know, So uh, we had to get his attention by knowing something about New York. And um, it was kind of like the uh, the New Yorker, but, but without cartoons, you know? So, um, so uh, he... Um, he instilled that in, in, in me and at least one of my other brothers. The other one, uh, I, I don't think is as interested, but um, one of my brothers had once upon a time a huge New York collection of like, you know, autographs of mirrors going back to the British era, things like that. And, uh, um, anyway, but the point is he came home with a book about the subways. It was a reprint of a book from 1904 about the construction, and, the construction equipment and um, I forget the exact title. I have it somewhere, but it's like a book that's so worn. And I mean, I, we went through two copies of it, um, but it's about the opening of the subway and explained in not so, you know, not such easy terms either, but they do explain how they, you know, the safety systems that were put in place. And that was another brilliant thing that Belmont based. I always say it was him that did it because he was, he was counteracting negative ads about, you know, the subways that they'd be dangerous and, Trains are going to be banging into each other in the dark, but he created a safe system. And um, so it goes into the safety mechanisms and everything that they put in place. But it's, uh, uh, it was, a, it fascinated me. And there's also photographs of uh, uh, a tunnel that was built underneath 104th street to go over to Harlem and how they built it and how they just built the whole thing in general. I found more pictures over the years. And when I was a kid, they, there was the original 1904 entrance for my station, 103rd Street, was right there in the middle of Broadway. And they tore it down. And I asked somebody why they were tearing it down. And the, the construction worker said to me, it's a traffic problem. And what I thought he meant was cars making a left turn to go up to West End Avenue from Broadway couldn't see around the structure. And there was always, always, there was always an accident there. And he said traffic. I thought that's what he meant. He was actually referring to people because it didn't occur to me that sometimes they made mistakes. All right. You have people coming up from a subway train at the end of a workday. There's a lot of people getting off the train. So they're coming up into the middle of Broadway. That's a bad idea because what if you have a red light? What are you going to do? Right. So um, there were mistakes that were made. And I find those fascinating. Also, the kind of like uh, either short sighted or um, uh, just not well planned out. You know, sometimes these 
there was there's certain things. I mean, they, I think it's because they never really guessed or knew how popular the subway would be. In fact, there was a story about the shuttle, the Times Square Grand Central shuttle, when it opened in 1917, it was overwhelmed to the point where they shut it down, which is crazy. But that's wow. that's how they dealt with it because it was just they, they were someone's going to fall on the tracks if we don't shut it down. So they really never quite got it. There's a station entrance that see the, the city got smart and landmarked a bunch of things. There's an entrance to a station called Bowling Green, which is the first stop into Manhattan coming from Brooklyn, and the entrance is tiny. And it fed down, <clears throat> excuse me, the staircase in that entrance, which was tiny, feds, feeds down to one platform once upon a time, one narrow platform for trains coming from Brooklyn, which is, you know, this is the financial district right there. It's the first stop in the financial district, first stop in Manhattan. Of course, you're going to see a large volume there. It, it's, a, it's almost a, a criminally de- uh, small, you know, it's just too small. So in the 70s, the city, you know, with what money they have, they will... Um, add a new platform. It's it's hideous, but at least it, it relieved the pressure off this one platform. So now you have another platform that they can, you know, the inbound platform into Manhattan has another platform that was built in 1977. It's it's ugly. You know, the, the wall treatment is looks like Z-brick or something, but um, it's not what, you know, it's not what was, you know. Um, 72nd Street and Broadway, again, a very narrow platform, narrow staircases going down to it. There was talk of um, uh, somebody having to pay for the widening of that station, but then he reneged on it. Um, I don't want to get political, but it was supposed to, I'll just say Donald Trump was supposed to do it because that was the give back for um, a massive construction project on the West Side, which didn't really happen. Uh, so, of course, he backs out of doing what he, he said he was going to do, which was to pay for the widening of the platforms because you'd have to widen the station. So um, that would have been a mess, but, you know. <laughs> it happen. So it's he like moved. He moved out of New York City. Yeah. Did you see that? Well, yeah, of yeah, course. He's in Florida yeah. now. Uh, yeah. I miss him already. But um, <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do? You know, yeah. I don't. I don't care. Let him go. Yeah. You know, a lot of other people moved out. You know, so did David Berkowitz. I mean, oh, all right, so son of Sam. Um, uh, he moved out too, but I think that was forced moving out. Um, so uh, yeah, so it always fascinated me that that people just didn't see the future. In fact. Um, the original Times Square station was a local station. But to be fair, when they designed the system, it was, it was Longacre Square. And Longacre Square is where you took your horse to get reshoed. You weren't seeing a show there yet. But I always say that the IRT should have seen it coming. They, this company should have seen that the theater district was starting to move because in 1900, well, actually before 1900, you already have um, the, the, the rumblings of a possible station being built at 34th Street. Pennsylvania Station was eventually built. Macy's moved up there because of that. Macy's moved to the, became the biggest department store in the world because they wanted to be right there where that station was going to be because it's going to attract a lot of people into that area. So it was absolutely smart to do that. You get that foot traffic. And the theater districts is the is almost like the casualty of this. The land gets very expensive around there. So they started to move up Broadway. And, you know, by uh, 1899, the first theater on 42nd Street shows up. And that's a year before they started construction on the subway. So they could have altered the plans, but they had this thing about not having two express stations back to back. The next uh, stop on the original line from Times Square, which they had no name for until April of 1904, when Longacre Square becomes Times Square, they, um, uh, the next stop was Grand Central. And there you have the, you know, the big terminal there. You, and it wasn't even that big yet. It was on its way to becoming that eventually. But when they opened the subway, you were already seeing the beginnings of what would become Grand Central Terminal. The, um, you have a lot of people getting off the New York Central trains there, a lot of people. So you need to have as many trains as possible stop there. So that has to be an express stop. 
uh, the IRT did not want to have express stations back to back. They got over that because when they redid the lines in, uh, up between 1913 and 1918, you have Times Square, the new Times Square station that we all know and love today. Uh, and the next stop downtown is 34th Street, Pennsylvania Station. And that has to be express also. You have to have everything stopped there because you have all these people getting off the Pennsylvania railroad trains. So they, they, they had to get over that back to back express situation quickly. And they did. So there you go. All right. And that is incredible history. Go ahead, Elliot. It is. It is. Well, I, 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 for one, am a big advocate of public transportation. I don't think the U.S., I don't think many U.S. cities have enough of it. I think we're a little bigger. I think we're a little bit behind the Western European side of things. But I do want to revisit the question because were you, when you grew up and your father was very interested in New York history and that led you and your brother to, you know, learn up on New York history for yourself and you you live in it you live in the history because it happened all around you did that inspire you to become a tour guide immediately or did you figure out that you wanted to be a tour guide after doing a few other jobs after after okay. and it was um I also became obsessed with movie theaters, old movie vo and vaudeville theaters and uh, the big single screen theaters that were not going to survive um I'm sorry to be ignorant but where are you guys located because, <laughs> Yeah. I'm right outside of Philadelphia. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah. Not too far. I'm in Jersey. Okay. Well, in Philadelphia, you had the Massbound Theater. And that, uh, the Massbound Brothers, was, a, it was one of them was named Stanley. Stanley Massbound. There's a lot of Stanley theaters out there in the world. Or RKO Stanley, because this, uh, that, that chain became part of uh, uh, the Keith Orpheum circuit eventually. Or, and then, then they merged with uh, RCA to form RKO. Um, so, I mean, I'm into that history, too. I showed a movie okay. rental store, like I said. And... Um, uh, I also, I don't know if you read my bio, but the whole Humphrey Bogart situation. And yeah, all that. it's so and, cool. Uh, um, so the, um, uh, you know, the, the Hollywood history has always been, you know, fascinating to me also. And I used to, you know, get my father all wrapped up when I would say things like, you know, um, Arthur Freed at MGM, he knew what he was doing when he added those new songs to On the Town, you know, he really fixed it good. And, uh, and that would just get him pissed off because he thought Arthur Freed was a maniac. And so, um, I, you know, uh, I said, when he was sick, I would say things like, you know, Penn Station wasn't perfect. You know, it was okay, but it was no Grand Central Terminal. And he started like, what? you know, like, like Grandpa Simpson, what, you know, what do you mean? You were never there. What are you, you know, what are you talking about? So, um, but yeah, I did other things. And um, the movie theater obsession, I owned a movie rental store. I was an actor for years. I um, was in a show up until a week before I ended up buying the store. Um, and ran it for years and then the industry started to change and uh you know we went all streaming and things like that but we were also thrown out of the building because the guys who ended up buying the building they wanted to be part of a parcel they thought was being put together to build something very big which did not happen so they lost out and um you know what it was for the best if i had waited another year i would never have been able to sell twenty-five thousand dvds and I did when one lot to Columbia University. So, and they moved it because there would be no way I could have, I don't know. I, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I shudder. Yeah, thank yeah. God that happened because uh, I would have been doomed. But it, I would hear these double decker buses go by. And um, they, you know, they, as tourism went up in this town, starting out, you know, really after 9 11, it really started to go up. You have um, uh, these double decker buses started showing up and they, um, I would he sort of hear them and they wouldn't, I, I would say, oh, that doesn't sound right. Or why are they talking about that? And I would, I would complain and, you know, I'll just say, I was a bitch about it. And my wife would say, you know what, you, you know, you know so much. Why don't you become a tour guide? And I finally said, okay, I will, you know, I'll find out what, you know, what's the deal. So I, 
I answered some ad in the paper in, um, I don't remember where I saw the ad, maybe it was on Craigslist. And um, the guy's name was Lee Gelber. And Lee Gelber, it was a the consultant to a company called City Sites. And, you know, I had to meet him first with, a, there was a bunch of other people there. And he went through the whole procedure. You have to take this test. The city makes you take a test, which is 130 questions. And which about 20 of our safety related. And I did very badly on that section because if you're, and it was because it's geared for double decker buses, you're the captain of the ship. So if you have an, you know, like what to do if you have an accident or what's the route you can take from point A to point B that's legal, things like that. Um, so I, I liked him right off the bat. He's, he was um, uh, an old, much older man. And, um, but he, 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 the stuff that he was coming out of his mouth, I just, I liked him. I liked him right off the bat. And then we became, we became friends. I like to think he's a friend of mine. I, I, he friended me on Facebook. He, he has retired and moved to Albany, but um, I, I still, you know, he's still a respected member of the guide community. And, you know, in this like kind of like upper echelon of guides, he's one of them. So I am, you know, when he would call me and say, are you available to, to work this thing with me? I would be flattered, you know, that he, that he called me. And um, so this guy, I, I liked him, I ended up working for city sites and I didn't like it. I worked there for six weeks and then was in my, my only accident, only car accident ever, um, it was a bus accident when the driver and the drivers, and I hate saying it, but some of those guys are maniacs and it's shocking they're driving a bus. In fact, um, I joke about the Radio City Musical Christmas show because they have a double-decker bus on stage and the Rockettes are standing up on it, which is illegal, you know, and <laughs> worse, but the worst thing is that the bus on the stage, they use the turn signal. That never happens in real life. So, <laughs> This guy had made a dumb maneuver, ended up hitting a cab, and then I had 40 people on the top of this bus. I had to get them, you know, put them on another bus because you have to stay there because it's a commercial vehicle until the police come and they fill out a report, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even know we hit something because the buses are so damn big, but he had hit a cab. And the cab driver was not going to accept his bribe. He tried to bribe the driver, uh, the cab driver, and it did not go over well. And so I'm stuck out there for 45 minutes. And then finally, the bus has to go back. And so, you know, um, I got, I said, that's it, man. I'm not doing this. And my wife finally said to me, you know what? You're an idiot. There's other companies out there. Why don't you find another company? And I found another company, liked it. Uh, and then I, um, ended up meeting, um, these other, another group of Levies and, uh, there's the father and son who have a, their own thing. They've been building it for, for, well, they're still building it cause you, you never stop building, but, um, to, to have been, Invited into that group, I thought was a huge feather in my cap, and I think it is. I still think it is. And um, when I first met Mark Levy, he said to me that sometimes a kid comes to New York, and it's the only time they're ever going to be here because this is an expensive town. So a tour has to be perfect, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's what I've been saying all along because I, I am very aware this is an expensive town, and the sacrifices that people make to 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 come here to see this place, it has to be perfect. You don't want anything to go wrong. I mean, I have when I have student groups, I have a 20 minute lecture about how to behave in Times Square. So, I mean, one of your questions I noticed was like, you know, tourist tips, never engage with someone in Times Square, never take something from someone who's offering you anything. So I go through this whole thing about, you know, don't give someone your name. I'm being paid to be here. I don't need to know your name. So why should some stranger on the street need to know your name? If you don't want to part with your money and I don't want you to because you probably saved up for a couple of years to get here, why would you want to give it to some jerk in Times Square? So are you uh, referencing like the, uh, the people dressed up as let's say Batman and no, they want to ask your picture? Not even them. them no, not even them. No, yeah. they are aggressive. They are very aggressive and they swarm and they, they, um, it's, it, you know, it's a whole like first amendment thing, you know, are they, uh, 
it's their right to put on a costume. They can't charge you, but they might as well be extorting, you know, because they, the way they, I, I've, I've overheard, that's not enough. I've heard like one of them saying, you know, I need more. We need more, you know, you know, because, you, you know, you, you, you pose with one Mickey and then like all of a sudden there's like, you know, 30 other characters around you and they all want a piece of it, you know? Right. And they try so, to, they, they don't really tell you that up front either. They, no. they're no. dressed with, you know, in character of some sort of famous movie, whatever's going on. They trick you into wanting a picture. You take the picture and then they expect you to pay them. Right. And yes. People are taken off by all. That's, you know, that's how Bob and I farmed our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> we did take okay. a picture with Batman. We, were t- we took pictures with Batman at Times Square and at 2 a.m. in the morning on a Friday. Yeah. In our defense, oh. we weren't exactly sober. <clears throat> so that's okay. That's the way yeah. you do it. But so, I mean, they're very aggressive. And, but I'm talking about like you know, there's, uh, the fake monks. Do you have that down in Philly? The fake monks walking around? No, no. Uh, no. Fake I, I'm monks, not sure they are. Uh, they are dressed like monks and they have like what appears to be a bookmark. They come up to you smiling and then they're trying to get you to take it. And if you take it, then they want money for it. And they start to show you some uh, pictures or, of a monastery somewhere. Or they, they just started with their sob story. Uh, but one of the tenets of Buddhism is not to shill from tourists on the street. So they're all over Times Square. They're all over Central Park. CD guys, guys who are up and coming singers, all of a sudden have this. Oh thing, yeah, you know, my CD. And I want to say to them, look, the you know the '90s called. They want their scam back because no one has CD players anymore. Who has? Right. A, I don't, <laughs> right. I, you know, well, you have a play. I, I was walking through the subway. One guy was in the subway because he didn't want to be outside because it was raining. Right? Because usually rain makes these people go away. Um, and he, I have a group of students, and I said, no, don't bother. They're they're, they're not interested. Uh, they're Amish. I said. Or they don't have CD players, and he said, "Well, what what have they got PlayStation for?" I said, "No, they're Amish. They clearly weren't Amish, you know." But um, I was saying that just to like, you know, dude, stop. You know, you're not gonna. It's not gonna work because I've told them already. But I want to have to say this to you that I've told them that you're trying to rip them off. I didn't want to have to say it, but you're, you know. I said, they've been warned of the scam is finally what I said. It's funny seeing the differences in culture, you know, even just in the United States where you have someone who may have grown up in like a Midwestern small town coming to New York and someone comes up and asks you or wants to talk to you and normal human response is to want to talk to them. Yeah, um, right. But something that you learn growing up in a city or being in a city often is that you ignore those people. You ignore exactly. So that, yeah, that's part you look, of you it. Straight ahead. Don't, don't, be wor- don't worry about appearing rude. If somebody tries to take, you know, hand you a CD and it's the, at the point where if you don't take it from them, it's going to fall to the floor. Let it fall. It's on them, not you, because their impulse is to take it. You know, look, the British kids are really polite. I get, I get groups from Wales all the time. And these kids are like, they call you sir. You know, it's like, I'm not used to that. You know, sir, can we go ahead? And, you know, I said, <laughs> look, listen, Harry Potter, you got to ask the chaperone, you know, so, you know. Uh, but but they're, they're really nice kids. And they're like, there's some of these kids are really smart. I mean, this one kid said to me the other day, uh, he said, you know, there was a Joe Namath fan, but Johnny Unitas. And I was like, what? You know, when was the last time someone said that, said Johnny Unitas to you, you know, out loud, you know? Um, or my other, the other one was that uh, uh, this young lady, she knew all, like a lot more about our, how our government set up, the checks and balances, the three, you know, the three branches. And it was going... Uh, I mean, the uh, it was I was just like, oh my god, you like sound like CNN, you know? I, it's unbelievable, you know. And um, um, more than a lot, some American kids know. So I don't know if it's the our education stinks or kids are not interested or whatever. But these kids, this, this young lady knew it's both, yeah. But um, this this kid knew she knew her stuff, and it was it was shocking. Um, I always say the iPhones kind of ruined it for a lot of people because you have. They're, they're not interested anymore. I mean, tragic story is that on the subway of all places, there are some cars that you have a front window view. And I miss that window view because now the operator position is a full width thing. And that was, there's many reasons why they did that. But what it did do is rob us of a, 
of this window view. And there are some older cars that they're phasing out that still have the window view. And I happened to get on one of those, those things with my son. And he sat down right away, pulls his phone. And I said, dude, look, look out the window. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's like, you know, why? It's just a dark track. It's like, what's the big deal? All right. But, um, you know, it, it, when I was his age, I would have been at the window. I would have been standing there at the window. And when I was in college, I would be standing at the window. And when they started to, you know, introduce trains that are full with positions, I was, I was, I was, mortified. I said, how are we going to look out the window now? How are we going to supposed to look out the window? You know, but say la vie, you know? So yeah. That's life, so, man. Yeah. Do you but, offer uh, a mafia tour? I do, but you know, I don't list it on my website because I do it for a lot of other people and uh, people who I like a great deal. So I don't want them to think that I'm, I'm poaching a tour that, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, um, if you uh, never had listed a, a, uh, organized crime tour and all of a sudden you are, uh, it looks like you're stealing. It could look like you're stealing a tour, and I don't want to look like that. I definitely don't want that. anyone, to, anyone who I know in this industry, to ever think that. People who I like in this industry, so I pretty much work with the people I like, um, and I never want them to think that I would do that. So interesting. Okay, but I do yeah. do one, and I do one for uh, two different entities, and and sometimes a third, and um, that history is incredible because no one's writing it down. There's a lot of speculation out there. So you have to, that's where tour guides come in. You know, I think your mind comes into work here. You have to like sift through all the different stories and find the one that's most either plausible or just if there's a couple of good ones, you can tell them all if you shorten it, you know, you like say, well, this source says that, you know, this is why they found him in a trunk, but they really, they found him in a trunk because this other guy, you know, so you have to like, you know, you take him to a location and it's like a building, but say, well, this is what happened here. You're trying to make it exciting because the problem is that you just can't walk into some places. And they used to have social clubs, which I'm sure you had in Philly, you know, the social clubs, like, you know, sons of, uh, of, uh, Italy's veterans of foreign war, whatever. And you know, the, the you know, or stores that apparently didn't sell anything, which I never really understood when I was a kid. Like, why aren't they selling anything? Why are those guys hanging out in front of that store? But, um, you know, those places were, there were hangouts. They were, uh, the, the, the social club culture is gone. But uh, to take someone to a place, we'll see this fancy used clothing store over here. This used to be Joe Piney Amorne's, uh Social club. This is where he would collect payments from the from his uh, from his soldiers and the and the wannabes, and disputes were settled and things like that. And around the corner, uh, Joe the Boss Masseria uh, had had a guy bumped off right here on the street, and the guy who did the killing may be Lucky Luciano. So it's all maybes, you know. It's not like for sure because no one's writing it down. If you start writing stuff down in a social club, it's like you know, wait, wait, what did Vito say? You know, you can't do that. You can't do that because. Uh, you know, no one wants a record. They don't, these guys don't want records of what they said no. So um, it's a fascinating history. It's a fascinating culture. Um, I like to look at it from the outside, you know? So in that respect, so I do like, I do like doing those tours. Um, but um, I do, I think I, I like the sub. I love the subway tour. I just, I think I do it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the yeah. <laughs> I, think I did one the other night and it was, uh, it was fun. It got cold though. So after a while, when you start getting cold and you start like, you I think my mind starts like, uh, did I say this already? I don't remember if I said this, that kind of thing happens, you know, but, uh, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So, well, Elliot, do you want to, do you want to add something? You can go. Uh, I was just curious, how long have you been doing tours with tours by locals? And then you're not doing tours exclusively through tours by no. locals, right? No, no, I'm not. But, um, uh, I think I started with them in either 2011 or 2012, and it was right after I became a tour guide and wanted to branch out. So the first place I I, I don't know how I found them. It was an accident, I think, um, and um, 
I signed on with them. This is before they would go through a rigorous vetting process, you know, and I always like wondered like, how do, how do people know? Like I, the, when I first started working at this company called Onboard, that was the, you know, after my hiatus from tour guiding after, in fact, they even said this to, at city sites, I said to them, you know, you're just going to put me on a bus. Like, how do you know I'm not a maniac? You know, how do you know? Well, we'll find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but won't it be too late? You know, like what if I'm a serious maniac? I mean, okay, let's, let's go. You know? So I said the same thing to, um, uh, on board, I said, you know, how do you know? And the, this guy, who I, I, he was, I, I liked this guy a lot. His name was Ron. And I said, Ron, how do you know I'm not a maniac? Because we'll find out. Drivers. Then I realized the driver is, the, is incredibly important. You, you make friends with the driver right away. The smartest thing, and this is something that Mark Levy said to me, you buy your driver a cup of coffee, you got it, right? So I always ask him, when are getting off the bus, you want anything? Always. Even if the guy is already like friendly, if the guy is like got a little edge, I say, you want a cup of coffee? I've never had a problem with the driver. And I know guides have had problems with drivers. Like, you know, they don't know the driver, you know, some bus shows up with a 50 kids on it and they've been listening to them, you know, scream for, you know, uh, 45 minutes stuck in traffic in the Lincoln tunnel. They're a little edgy. So, uh, and they're dealing with New York traffic, but you know what? They're, you, you brighten their day. Just make, you know, so it makes it easier for you, you know? And, uh, um, I don't know if I answered your question initially, but, uh, but seriously, <laughs> this is like, a, a, it's a, some these little tricks that you learn over the years, like, you know, how to, how to make friends, uh, in the, you know, temporary friends, you know, it's like uh, that line in, in fight club, you know, single serving friend, you know, and I understand that, you know, cause it is, you're never going to see these people again. Generally, you're not and every once in a while you do get a driver that you've seen before and they remember you. And that's a flattering thing. Cause they've seen that. How many guys have you seen, you know, and all the, all the guys in all the world, I walked into this bus, you know, they're, you know, this guy walks into my bus, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so, so something I wanted to get into, uh, before we got off was food. Mm -hmm. Um, people, so it can be overwhelming for anybody trying to pick a restaurant in New York city. It's, there are a ton of restaurants and that's the, that's even putting it lightly. Uh, but before we get into restaurants, what I want to ask is (coughs) in the entire city, where would you go for your bagel with cream cheese? And a slice of pizza. Well, you know that'd be different places, right? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Bagel. If I was going to have a bagel with cream cheese, there's there's two places I would go. One place is a local place. See, that's the thing. A lot of these things are local, and it's is one of the best bagel places in New York. It's called Absolute Bagel. It's on a, a Broadway between 107th and 108th, uh, and it's an interesting um, ethnic makeup behind the counter. They are Korean. At least I think they're Korean, um, but um, they bought the play. They, they, one of them learned how to do it for like, for real. They make like, you know, bagels, not just round bread with a hole in it. Right. There's a whole boiling process. There's a whole process to making them and they do it and they do it really well. Um, so they're them or I, juniors and juniors will come up a couple times in this conversation. I love juniors. The original juniors is on Flappish Avenue in Brooklyn. And, um, I always say it was invented by Jews who wanted to behave badly because you have the mixture of dairy and meat. Right. Reuben sandwiches, Ooh. they have really good pastrami there, but you're covering it with cheese, you know, when you make a Reuben sandwich. But the bagel, you know, lox and cream cheese. Also, if I would, I would be really remiss if I didn't bring it up, Russ and Daughters. And there is a difference from salmon to salmon. So if I was getting just a bagel with cream cheese, I, I would just go to Absolute. But if I wanted a bagel with salmon, Russ and Daughters, oh my God, there is a difference. And you forget, you forget when you go, when you have like, all right, I'll admit it, I buy uh, smoked salmon at Costco, that big package, right? It's good. It's fine. My kids like it. My wife likes it. I like it. My cats like it. All right. So fine. But I go to Russ and Daughters once in a while and it's like, it, it's a $15 bagel. 
and there, you're not, you, there's no tables. You yeah, sit outside on the bench or, you know, whatever. And it, there's a huge difference. And you just go, oh my God, that's why this is a $15 bagel because it is that good. It is that good. Um, for pastrami, I would, you know, either juniors or if you can get in there, it's a quite the scene. It's Katz's Delicatessen. Of course, everyone's going to tell you that. But there's another place on the Upper East Side that's really good too. And it's like, I'm almost surprised it's there because you don't think of um, kosher uh, deli when you say Upper East Side. I mean, you think more like Gossip Girl, you know, and just don't see um, those characters going into, you know, a kosher deli and caring about how good the pastrami is. But Pastrami Queen on 78th and Lexington is real good, real good. And it's it's a little far south of like the, the, the German, the, you know, there was a German area, the Yorkville, but it wasn't German Jewish. It wasn't that kind of German. It was you know, non-Jewish German. Uh, in fact, there used to be, um, uh, you know, back during the war, a lot of people got quiet up there. You know, this is all I'm saying. All right. Um, but um, What about pizza? Pizza? Okay, now here's the thing. The best pizza is you cannot get a slice of, all right? The best, there are two places I love. One is at, uh, uh, two, sorry, three places. One place, I'm not sure if, if it's still open because they forgot to pay their sales tax and the state frowns upon that and they got shut down and it's all the way out in Brooklyn. But I've taken people there because it's that good. It's all the way out in Avenue J and East 14th Street. It's called DeFaris. They had an outpost in a place called DeKalb Market. And DeKalb Market is in downtown Brooklyn. I haven't tried that one, but the, it, there is a difference. And the thing is, that, you know, they open when they kind of feel like it. And it's, it's an old guy who does everything. He doesn't let anyone else do it. Uh, he makes every pie himself. And he cuts with a scissor the basil that they put on top of it. Uh, and it, it's great. All right, so there's that one. There's a place called Juliana's, um, which is on Old Fulton Street near Fulton Landing in uh, Dumbo, right? So right between Brooklyn Heights and really Dumbo, you have Fulton Landing. And along there, there's a place called Grimaldi's. Grimaldi sold, and then he decided to reopen. So Patsy Grimaldi's uh, place reopens under a different name because he sold the name, and it's Juliana's. And you get a pie there, and you forget how good it is. You forget how really like there is a difference in pizza. And I've taken people there, and every time, I because I, I don't, I, I'm, 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 I'm a little crazy. I won't eat during the day generally. So my wife says, you're insane. You got to eat something. And I said, no, no, no. Cause I'll feel bad about myself. If I do, you know, it's like, insane. I, I know it's crazy, but, um, I will eat that. I will say, okay, you got it. Ellen B. Spamoni gardens. Almost forgot that one way out in Brooklyn. So it's not the most convenient place to get to, but Oh my God, they have a spicy Sicilian. That's fantastic. It's worth Ooh, it. Yeah. And, uh, it's incredible. And then, um, John's pizza, which, there are two, the original one in, in Greenwich Village, and then there's one in the theater district, which is enormous. And yeah, it's a big kind of tourist scene, but um, the pizza is, is good. It is very, it's really good. And the thing about pizza in New York is that the water makes the dough good. So as long as the dough is made here, you know, like you got sparrows all over the place. You got them in malls all over the country. They make their dough somewhere else. So it's not really going to be the same, right? Same thing with, I think, uh, Domino's. You have to buy everything from corporate. So they're making stuff somewhere else and not using New York water. I've heard stories about people trying to truck New York water to California and to Florida so they can make bagels and pizza the way they do in New York because it really has to do with the water. And particularly LA where it's like, you know, a lot of ex-New Yorkers there and the water is incredibly hard. So you want that soft New York water and that's uh, something that they're looking to import that. Um, so uh, those are places I'd go for pizza. But going back to Junior's, they don't have pizza, but they got good bagels, they got good pastrami, and they have the best cheesecake in the world. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know what, what it is about people from Wales. They always like, I'm, 
oh my god cheesecake i say cheesecake and they go like I, I their eyes light up you know i don't know if it's a, a welsh thing or or what but every well every welsh group i've had uh i i say cheesecake and they go where where you know so genius best one we used to have a uh, Junior's at uh, Grand Central Terminal, which is one of my favorite buildings in New York. There's a food court downstairs that all of it had to start in New York, but they had a fire in the Junior's. Uh, there's a weird story about how the MTA had blamed them for damage all the way upstairs or something. And anyway, the lease got canceled. I think it's because they wanted the seating area for um, extra seating because they were going to be doing a project that would have taken away other seating because they're building another station underneath Grand Central Terminal, uh, the East Side Access Project, which is taking way too long to finish. But juniors, oh my God, they, they're the, they were the best. They were the best thing in Grand Central, as far as I'm concerned. And um, uh, they're the best coffee in Grand Central. And they, of course, they had their cheesecake. And so I would, I take groups there because it's a great place to take a student group because it's contained. They got, there's bathrooms there. They got a choice of stuff. They can, they kind of get let loose a little bit. So they feel a little independent, you know, without being too independent. And, um, and it all go to, they'd all get cheesecake. They all would get cheesecake. I should have gotten my 10% from juniors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I know you're on a tight schedule and we're getting pretty close to the um, end. So it might be one of my, one of the last questions. Right. Um, could you take me, uh, take our listeners through the perfect, single day itinerary in new york city let's say starting at grand central station with a car um or by subway uh so let's do subway uber okay. taxi all right well i'm starting at grand central of course you, you guys spend some time there and look around the terminal and um there's uh there's, there's some very cool stuff and how grand central came into being and what was there before and all that um is uh an interesting it's a cool story i think it's a cool story and then you have um from there i would probably if I had my way, I would um, probably go to Bryant Park, just talk about the Empire State Building because you can see it from there and a couple other buildings that are around there. But then I would get back to Grand Central, take the downtown six train and go around the abandoned City Hall Loops uh, station, which a lot of people don't know about who live here. More people are knowing know about it now because of a movie called Fantastic Beasts with Eddie Redmayne. They, they digitally recreated the station after took, they took a thousand photographs or something of it and fed it into a program and built sets digitally. So that um, station is, is, is insanely beautiful. It was shut down in 1944 and it's in better condition than some stations that are in service now. Um, the Transit Museum does do a tour there once in a blue moon, but you, you, it used to be illegal to do this. I just stay on the six train, you can see it, right? So the six train goes around. Then I would end up, I like Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. I would take people to Dumbo. I would take people to Brooklyn Heights. Uh, if they were from England, I would take them to, uh, I think it's 426 Henry Street. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the number, but I, I could take, I know where it is. But I just don't remember the number, but it's the building that Winston Churchill's mother was born in. She was born in Brooklyn. And uh, then I would, I would end up showing them Prospect Park South, is, uh, the house that they use in Sophie's Choice, um, streets that look familiar because they've been using 100 commercials and TV shows over the years, the Japanese house of Brooklyn. Then I would take them all the way across to Bay Ridge where there's a house that they call the Gingerbread House of Brooklyn. If you're bored one night, look it up. It's incredible. It looks like a hobbit should be living there. And, um, and Bay Ridge is is beautiful. Go to Coney Island because the history in Coney Island is cool. Then I would take, of course, go back to Manhattan. And I do the Upper West Side, which I think is very underlooked. And see, I try. I don't want to do Times Square. I don't want to do all those typical places because they're so um, they're overrun. I mean, um, I'm going to be attending a meeting that the Guide Association, Guide Association New York, um, runs a bunch of different committees, and one of the committees is over tourism. And you try walking through Times Square. It's a nightmare. You know, it's it's horrible in the summer when you have you know regular you know business people whatever and they also have um 
a million tourists. You have a lot of you know groups that are just trying to make their way through Times Square, and then you have to you know battle it out with the CD guys, the costume characters, the monks, and you know Lord knows what else. And then uh, uh, so it's that's horrible. So the Upper West Side, you'd be surprised like very few people go there. Of course, there's Harlem, but there's also Upper Manhattan. I took a group from your neck of the woods, from the Philly area. Um, I was I did a regular tour for them that involved Brooklyn Bridge and that whole Brooklyn thing I just kind of laid out for you. Um, and they ended in Coney Island because they're near the Verrazano Bridge, so they can get back on their bus and go right back to, to Philadelphia from there, uh, across the Verrazano. Um, but this other tour I did for them involved Upper Manhattan, uh, Upper West Side, um, the building that was the inspiration for a spooky building in Ghostbusters, Mrs. Maisel's house, you know, the apartment building used in Mrs. Maisel's, a lot of movie locations along there, uh, a house that was used in a show called Suits, I think it was called, um, but it's a house that's been in a bunch of movies because it's one of the only freestanding houses left on Riverside Drive, a white marble house, um, uh, a house that was used in the show Gotham, and uh, the, the, the tall building that was the inspiration for a spooky building in Ghostbusters is a, is this got a spooky history. George Gershwin's house, Humphrey Bogart's house, go to Harlem, they had lunch. Then we, got, we, we drove around where all the clubs used to be on 133rd Street. Then we went to um, uh, the, the Grange, Hamilton's house, then we went to um, the Morris Jumel Mansion, the oldest house in in, um, in Manhattan, not New York City, but in Manhattan, and it's it's incredible. And then uh, I arranged for a uh, a an oak. It was a tour, but it was I would I would have done it better. All right, I shouldn't say that because I don't know if this guy will ever hear it. But he was a very nice man who got us in there and did the tour. But it's a, a theater called. Lowe's 175th, which is now called the United Palace. And it is the third largest theater in New York, I believe, third or fourth largest theater, but it's incredible. It was never touched, never touched. It was a movie palace built right at the end of the movie palace era as a huge stage, movies, vaudeville. Um, and then it, Lowe's sold it to Reverend Ike. Remember Reverend Ike? Uh, he, he, he bought it and did nothing to it. He actually, if anything, he made it, he saved it from falling apart. And it's, it's incredible. So, you know, we got ourselves a little tour there. That sounds like a busy day. Yeah. The, the thing yeah. about touring New York City is it's such it an busy. incredibly, yeah, it's, well, it's, a, it's so diverse and not just the food, the people, uh, the architecture. You can do a tour in New York City and then do a different tour the next day and have a completely different experience in the city. The, between the boroughs and between That's the right. different neighborhoods within Manhattan, it's, it's drastically diverse. You know, you spend time in, like you said, Times Square for an hour and then you go up to the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side and it's almost like you're in a brand new city it's so it's so different I remember the first time I, I went yeah. up to the Upper East Side after all my only experiences in Manhattan were in Lower Manhattan in Times Square near the 9-11 um, memorial and things like that and, and yeah you're kind of it's it's just so different and it's just an it's an odd experience because you are still in the same exact city and it's not a big city land-wise it's very small yeah yeah, it is. It, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth airport is bigger than this island. The yeah. Dallas-Fort Worth airport is bigger than Manhattan Island. That always freaks me out a little bit. Wow. But wow. it's true, you know. So uh, what are you going to do? You know, it's only 22 <laughs> square miles. 13 miles, that's an, it's like about 13 miles long. And it's at its widest, it's two and a half miles. So it's a tiny little island. Yeah. And it is the center of the universe, you know. And that, like, it was that, that New Yorker cover years ago, you know, New Yorker's vision of the world. And it's like, you know, 11th Avenue, 12th Avenue, Hudson River, California, you know, Pacific, you know, and that's really, it's true. It's true. You know, um, I, I, I bike a lot and I was biking in New Jersey. I biked across the George Washington Bridge and I got pulled over. And this is back in the late 80s. And, you know, I had really long hair at the time. I mean, like, you know, like, 
uh, that had this thing too, you know, soul patchy thing. And so I got pulled over. I'm assuming there's some, you know, like, okay, he thinks I'm a, you know, a drug dealer. I don't know. But he pulls me over and I said, well, I, 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 he said, um, I'll be with you in a second. But he was riding a ticket to another bicyclist who didn't have a helmet on and I wasn't wearing a helmet. So, which is, you know, terrible thing. But, you know, it is because it's like that road, they want you to have a helmet specifically on that road. So I said at one point, because I didn't realize why he pulled me over. I said, but I'm from Manhattan. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> that was the first thing out of my mouth. This guy, the state trooper with a, you know, big gun and the bag, the big hat and the dark glasses. I said, but I'm from Manhattan. Like, like, you know, that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but, but why are you, why are you stopping me? I am, I'm from there. I'm from, I'm from Valhalla, you know, and uh, <laughs> I am gracing you with my Manhattan presence over here in New Jersey on this, you know, nice country road here by the Hudson River. But, you know, I, I there's a sign that says you have to have a multi-speed bike, which I had, but, it, it, but you, you need to have a helmet because if you fall, uh, they don't, you know, you will die if you, you know, because they're not going to find you for a while. You know, that's, that's why, you know. It won't be until maybe you know a couple months go by, and the, you know some car comes by and says, "Oh, look, there's a guy in the middle of the road." <laughs> so <laughs> they want you to protect yourself, you know. And um, and it was it, it was you know it's well intentioned, and it's you know they're right. I was wrong, but he didn't give me a ticket. He just gave me a, a warning, you know, a warning thing. So never not wear, never don't don't ever not wear your helmet in Jersey is the lesson here. Yeah. Lesson, so. <laughs> or just always so wear it when you're riding your bike. I think this is like a general, no, it's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Technically. Yes. The problem Gary, is, you know, oh, go ahead. We have a lot of bikes now, you know, yeah. we have a lot of bikes that are the city bikes. Or you got them in Philly too. We do we have the city bikes. And, uh, I don't carry a helmet with me. My wife is really good about it. Cause she plans, but I, you know, I said, Oh, you know what? I was going to take a bike and I don't have a helmet. You know, it's like, you know, so I do ride without helmets more than I care to, but um, at the same time, I feel bad if I don't ride the bike. So it's like a real trade-off, you know? Philly's yeah. out. I don't even think there's a helmet law for people in motorcycles in Philadelphia. Really? Because they, yeah. I think they have one here. I think they got smart about that here. So Unless they changed hmm. it recently. You know, I don't know. Minimize risk. Yeah. Minimizing risk is what Belmont, all this Belmont was all about. And that's part of the thing I cover on the tour about minimizing risk and making a safe system. And I, I'm a, I'll, if you have to go, I'm going to leave you one thing. I had this group from Texas. They're staying in Times Square. They're from some small town. They never saw that this many people before in one spot in their lives. So they're a little freaked out. And then they're going to be getting on the subway and they were nervous. And I said to them, look, this system since 1991 has moved 140 billion people and since 91, there's not been one passenger fatality because of an operator doing something stupid or making a mistake. That's how safe the system is. And there's no transportation system in the world anywhere. No airline, nothing that is as safe as the New York City subway system. So that's when I say I'm a big defender of the system. I bring that up on the tour every time because people don't get it, that it is that safe. And it had to do with Belmont minimizing risk and fighting off bad publicity. That's all it took, those two things. But look what we got out of it, right? Yeah. Amtrak can't say that. I will say what one of my favorite movies that involves New York City and biking is Premium Rush. I don't know if you remember that. That's uh, I do remember that because they were filming in my neighborhood. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a bike messenger. Yep. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely, but I I didn't see him. But I did see uh, filming. There's a lot of cool stuff in that movie. But there's a one thing where they they were chase somebody was chasing somebody and it was cars and um, the. they were filming. It was it was toward the end of the school year. It was hot, and I was with my kids, and we I, I made them go with me to a supermarket because I had to pick uh, them up at school. And they were both being jerks and um, and fighting. And then 
I'm about to cross the street and this, some PA comes up to me and goes, uh, would you, you know, can you wait? Cause, um, and I saw the car go by with the camera on it. It's, it's, it's gone by. Could you wait? We're filming a movie. And I said, the camera turned the corner. I got two screaming kids and frozen food. Get out of my way. You know? Uh, and then I found out later that somebody had punched a PA down on 102nd street and, uh, cause they didn't, you know, didn't like being told they had to wait to cross the street. So then I kind of felt bad. I got over it, but you know, <laughs> sometimes PAs kind of stretch the truth about what they're allowed to say and allowed to do. Like, you know, we're filming here, you can't walk here, which is not the case. The, the streets are owned by the citizens of the city of New York. You just have the permit to put up a tripod. That's it. You know, you, you don't get, that's all you get in, in the parking, of course, but um, doesn't give you the ownership of the streets. So, but uh, I was, it was like horrible. I'm like, how could you ask me that? You know, the camera turned the corner. Well, they didn't say cut yet. That's, that's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> That's are they going to come back? Are they going to back up? Yes. Is that, you know, really? No, they're not. So, yeah, right. I'm sorry. I, that's, that's my association in Rush. So. Yeah. As, you're, as you're getting ready to go and give your own tour this morning, um, for anyone listening and to even Bob and myself, what is the best way to find you on social media, your website, Tours by Locals? Can you provide us all of that information so that um, we can find you? It, yeah. You got that email from me, right? Yes. You yeah, got, you must have. Okay. Yep. So yeah, so um, it's generally New York Tours by Gary, but it's all spelled out. So we don't have like NY Tours. It's, just, it's New York Tours, all one word, New York Tours by Gary, uh, .com, at Facebook, um, and also on, at Instagram. Too, so I'm on there. Perfect. I didn't awesome. do the Twitter. I didn't do the tweeting. No, we don't <laughs> but, do Twitter uh, very often but, either. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, say, I say the Twitter just to, just to get my kids mad. Are you going to yes. use the Twitter? You know, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, Twitter. Go to you sure? I thought it was the Twitter. All right. So I use the Facebook, you know, and so, so uh, I'm on that and I'm not as good about updating as I should be. Um, but I do post pictures on Instagram, which end up on my Facebook page. So. Okay. All right. so yeah. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk with us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and, uh, thank you. Thank you. You're All right. Nice meeting you. All right. Nice meeting you. So you're going to say, so like I just mentioned in the podcast, it's, it's crazy to me how vastly different your experience can be in New York City. And just like you can have different experiences while you're there, each conversation you have with someone on Manhattan can also vary wildly. And it's just very cool to me. And it's, it's such a unique place in this world and somewhere that, you know, I learned a ton today on New York City. Oh, I, I did not too. Previously. Well, I think I've been to New York City several times and I've done a lot of different things each time and I still feel like I've only touched or even scratched the surface. There's right, just yeah. so much to do. And, and when you talked about it in the podcast, like each, there are different sectors of New York City that are basically its own city. And in a way they are. Mm -hmm. They're contiguous, but they really have their own Culture. subcultures. Right, yeah. 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 Enclaves, yeah. It's Very really cool. cool. Mm -hmm. um, so- Give us some ratings on iTunes and reach out to us. And now we are going to ask the very first trivia question. Don't the travelers. What is it? Podcast. What is it? All right, there we go. What is one of Gary's favorite bagel and pizza places? We need one of each to get the correct answer. Oh, I know. Stay, I know. Can I, I submit? I Can I submit? I <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So stay tuned in next week to find out the answer and if you're a winner. Thanks for listening, everyone.